Well, it's good to see uh, that all of you made it back safely. You survived spring break 2012. Praise the Lord. This is cool for me. For one thing, uh, the songs that were sung just fit really well with the message that the Lord has kind of put on my heart for tonight. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But it's just been fun to have the opportunity to be up here. My name is Derek. I'm an intern here at Grace. And they are gracious enough to let a loose cannon like me get up here and get, a, get the mic strapped to me and, and teach you guys. And, and that's awesome. But it's been, been really neat to have people I love, friends here encourage me and, and really feel, man, a lot of people are praying for me. So um, I'm hopeful, excited that the Lord's going to move for y'all tonight. If you will, open up to Malachi chapter 1. And if you don't know where that is, it is the last book before the New Testament. And if you don't know what the New Testament is, you can uh, look in your table of contents for Malachi. And that will be Malachi. <laughs> if you're like me, I don't, I don't do real well when the reader, I, I don't follow along with the person who's reading, so I'm going to give you like 10 seconds to, to jump ahead and reading if that's better for you. Verse 6 to 14, so go forth. Malachi 1, 6 to 14, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am your father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now, entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept this from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. You pray for us. Father, I thank you that I can come to your throne now. Christ has made the way. And I can, <laughs> I can step right up to your presence. And you are you're amazing. Uh, you're beyond anything our mind can begin to grasp. And in your love, you show us things we're doing that draw us away from you. Thank you for that. Lord, I'm excited about the things you've been teaching me from this passage. But I can't, I can't speak them clearly. I can't do it well enough to change anyone unless you move. So, Father, cause your spirit to meet minds and hearts tonight. If they're tired from spring break, Lord, give them, give them your grace to pay attention. 
uh, to hear from you, speak to them, minister to their hearts tonight, Lord. Uh, let it be uh, a time where they, they get to sit in your presence and, and see that you're seeking every single one of them tonight with your love. They're here. They're going to get to hear about who you are and who your son is. And that's your love. Thank you for that. We love you, God. I pray those things in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, I have a fun story from this, this past weekend. I was in a wedding uh, in Marble Falls, and uh, while I was out there the first night, I got about two hours of sleep on a, uh, a fold-out sofa thing. And so while I was in the, the hotel that morning, I had a little self-conference, and I said, uh, self do you want to stay on that couch again? And I was like, no. And then I asked, do you want to go back to the promised land of Seastat? And I was like, mm, yeah. And so I took that lame little self-conference, whatever, I took it up to the Lord and was like, Lord, do you, do you want me to stay here with my friends or can I go home? I have a lot of work to do. And I didn't, didn't feel like he gave me a red light, so I, I decided I'd pack my gear up and I would just leave that night from, from the reception and while I was at the reception, I had another little self-conference. I was like, hey, Derek, uh, you're pretty bad with directions, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And, uh, and so I was like, well, you should probably, should probably ask these people how to get back to the promised land, huh? And I was like, yeah, okay. And so I, I turned to the people next to me, figuring they would have magic phone, the iPhone with maps and internet and all that. So they, they did. And we took it out and looked at the map on there, and he was like, yeah, you'll hit this road, this road hits 71, take a right, and so I looked at it, I was like, that road, sure, bingo, whatever, but I knew where 71 was, because I am bad with directions, and I'd passed the resort up the day before, and hit 71, I was like, there's a road called 71 there, cool, I know that now, and eventually found the, the place where the uh, wedding was, so I knew how to get to 71, and, and that was all good, but by the time I left the reception, it was dark outside, and on top of that, many other obstacles began to appear. Uh, I got in my car, and it's dark, uh, but it's also raining, and my, my windshield wipers, uh, they don't really work very well, so there's danger, and, but then also something that is up with my car is that anytime it's decently wet, so even like very humid, there's this perpetual fog that just fills my window, like it won't go away. I don't know what to do with it. I'm, I've thought about, like, who do I ask this? Do I, like, ask an engineer or someone smart who would be like, dude, just roll up your, like, I don't know, maybe there's some, some fix for that. But that was going on. And then the night before, we had been driving in that neighborhood, and we literally saw 12 deer in somebody's yard. And I was like, that's 12 deers in somebody's yard. And it just, it was just weird. So all that to say, I was 10 and 2. I was focus foxed. I was dialed into the road because danger was afoot. And when I when I eventually turned right onto 71, there were it was all those things were happening. I figured if there's deer there, there could be deer here. And every time I saw one of those signs that looks like it's the line with the little, so it's like that. I don't know. Uh, every time I saw one of those, I was like, is that a deer sign? Like like it would cause a deer to jump out or something. But I was, I was just very, very aware. And there was also construction on 71. And every time a car came this direction at me, I would literally become one with the road. I would, I would just stare at the road, hoping that it wouldn't start to curve, because and then it would just be like, and I guess I'm dead. But all that is going on. And, and so I was very in tune 
with the dangerous consequences that come along with driving. Uh, there's a reality every time you get into your car that uh, if you hit something, it could cost you a lot of money, you could get hurt, or you could die. And because of the danger around me, I was very aware of those things and, and just zoned in. But two small towns later, and 80 miles, I, uh, I decided to take a little pit stop. Uh, no lack of peace in me, no anything. But then I, I passed by some maps, and I'm like, oh, looky there. And uh, I'm like, Dallas in the greater area, the city down the road in the greater area, and uh, Abilene in the greater area, what? And uh, <laughs> I was like, those signs have been saying west. Oh, gosh. And um, so I pulled, I pulled uh, the, the map of, of uh, the city down the road in the greater area out, and I looked at it. Uh, on the cashier's desk, and she was just kind of like, what's your deal? And uh, eventually this guy walked in and was like, hey, man, you look like you're lost. And I was like, huh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was like, how, how do I get back to Seastat? And he goes, oh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to hit this road and take a left on 71, burn, right? <laughs> I was just like, oh, no, why? And so instead of being two hours from from the promised land, I was now four hours from the promised land at nine o'clock after two or three hours of sleep. And so needless to say, pretty demoralized. I had a little, that feeling in my stomach when I got back in the car, I was just like, oh, why? And I realized, you know, the Lord, he, he's in everything. But regardless of that, while I started driving, what, what happened? I was driving and I had the abounding experience of being on that road once before, right? And I was also just demoralized, so I needed some music to sing to, right? Uh, so I was not 10 and 2 focus foxed anymore. I was singing songs about Texas and various other songs <laughs> and uh, thinking about life lessons uh, learned by the cruel hand of the road, but not being one with the road anymore. I wasn't giving full honor and fear towards the reality that Man, if anything happens, it could be really bad. And as I've thought about that more, especially in light of this passage, I've realized that that's, that's something that's broken in humanity. I think there's something that's sick within us that when we're tempted with disappointment or pride or whatever it is, uh, we take good things that God has made. Do you remember Second Corinthians chapter 1? God is the God of all comfort. Comfort is a good thing. It's not evil. But when you take comfort because of disappointment or pride or whatever else, and you use it for something that it's not meant for, it becomes evil. And we do that. In the car, when you have nice leather seats and uh, you can keep your, your hiney warm and all those different things, what, what's that ultimately meant for? It's not that you would not pay attention to the road and to realities, uh, that there's danger but it's that you would have some, some more enjoyment in the middle of something that's really a stressful situation. And another way to think about it, have you been in a relationship where you were very comfortable with a person, whether it's a friendship or a dating relationship or maybe with your parents? Have you been in a place where you got so comfortable with them that you, you said something and you took that comfort too far and that blinded you to the reality of, when I say this, it's going to hurt them. You didn't think about it. You didn't see it. Or when I do this, it's going it's to hurt them because you didn't think about it. 
I think that happens often. And so those are just a couple ways that, man, we take something good and comfort, and we take it too far. And, and then we, we don't do what comfort was meant for. It's meant that we would enjoy God more and that we'd have peace. And that's, uh, that's where the priests are tonight as we look at Malachi chapter 1. They're the ones who are, are put in charge of dealing with the holy things. They, they know God's character and, and they are, are set to give sacrifices and do different things that are meant to bring him glory and honor. They also know more about his words and his promises than anyone else in, in Israel. Uh, and so they, I think, have grown comfortable. They deal with God and his character. They deal with God and his word. And as we look at them tonight, I think they've taken parts of his character. And because they're too comfortable, they pick and choose which ones they want disregard the other ones, and then they look at his word and promises he's made, and they pick and choose ones to focus on, and they throw away the other ones, and so their actions are blinded, and it's pretty messed up. So as you look at it, take a look at verse 2. He said, God says to them, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Just right off the bat, man, boom. This is the first thing that's said in the book, and, and it's meant to kind of twist your stomach a little bit and say, whoa, these, these little men are talking to the God of the universe and he's just said, I've loved you. And they're saying, you're a liar. How have you loved us? Their attitude is way, way out of line. And it, I don't know, it made me, this is kind of cheesy, but it made me think of, of the mobster quote, like, do you know who you're talking to? Like, what, what were they thinking? You know, he has all ability and rights to just go, and they're done. And so they, they're disregarding who he is. And then to look at how they're not paying attention to his words. Historically at this time, the Jews before this had been in captivity in Babylon. And at this point, they're back in Jerusalem. And at, also at this point, the temple had been rebuilt. The place where God's uh, presence and power and glory was supposed to reside is back in business. But what's happening, he's not filling that temple with his glory. And their ruler is a Gentile governor. And so I think what's going on here is the priests had their eyes on a part of God's promises, but disregarded other ones. Uh, They remember God said, "I I promise you a king. I promise you land. And I promise you peace and blessing on that land. And I think... Uh, when, when the governor said, hey, you're going back to Jerusalem, you're going to rebuild the temple, I think the priests were like, yeah, the promises, all right. And, and they probably got excited thinking, all right, finally, the Lord's going to come and, and wreck shop and do what he's promised. And so when that doesn't happen, I think they get demoralized. But in light of that, they're not paying attention to a whole other part of what God promises He promised them them blessings for obedience, that they would have a king, they would have land, and they would have peace and blessing. But he also promises them, if you don't follow me, you won't have a king, you won't be on the land, you won't have peace, there won't be blessing among you. And they've just, they forgot that. And then on top of that, as they've looked at the things that they want from the hands of God, uh, they they didn't realize that the promise to curse them when they don't follow him that was meant for love. When they go and they seek things out that are going to bring death because they're not God, they're not the author of life, 
It's meant to bring cursing to them so they'll come back. They'll see this God is our life. He's the wellspring. He's the fountain of life. But they don't see that. And so something we'll see, their comfort led to that bad attitude. We'll see their, their actions follow in suit. Verses 6 through 8 say, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? And so their actions again show that they're kind of picking and choosing what they're going to see from God's words. They, more than anybody, should know that God asks, and if you look at verse uh, 14, uh, you can even see it in this passage, God says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. And they know better than anybody, you bring what's best to the Lord, knowing that when you bring what's best, he's faithful to provide for you. They, they should know that truth. Uh, but what do they do? Uh, when they, they, don't, they don't see his character as he is, and so their actions, when they go out to the field, they see Zechariah, their prized lamb who's strong, uh, and they go, Zechariah, get out of here. If the Lord sees me seeing you, go. And they go up to Gus, and they're like, oh, Gus, hey, buddy, let me get that crap out of your eyes. Oh, oh, oh you smell, oh, my gosh. And they take this skinny little lamb, and, and they say, we're going to go offer you to the Lord. That's going to be good. uh uh-huh. And then when Zechariah comes back around, they're like, get out of here. The Lord's going to give me boils if he sees me seeing you. And, and they just don't, they disregard God's faithfulness. Had they sacrificed him, he would have been faithful to him. But they don't believe in his faithfulness. And uh, <laughs> the fact that they, they feel like uh, they can get away with what they're doing shows that they think God resides in a temple or something. But he's everywhere. Uh, he sees everything. And so I feel like the, the whole idea that they were, they were too comfortable, uh, it changed their attitude, and then their attitude didn't honor them, and so their actions followed in suit. And it's, it's painfully clear to look at the priest's attitude. As we go through this book, there's seven more times where they'll say something like, how have you loved us? And can you imagine if you had loved someone or something that didn't deserve it at all, and you said, I've loved you. And then they turned back to you and snorted and said, how have you? How have you loved us? If they were small enough, you'd probably want to punt them. And uh, if they were bigger, you'd probably want to kick them in the shin and be like, that hurts, doesn't it? That's how my heart feels. And hopefully, hopefully the reaction would be a little more godly. But that's how you would feel, what you would probably want to do. But let's take a look at, at God's response If you look at at verse 5, he says, Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. And if you look down at verse 11, he says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. His first response to them, is my name's going to be glorified. (laughs) I've given you the role 
Uh, You're supposed to be the ones who bring glory and honor to my name. I've given you that role, but I don't need you. I don't need you for that. I can do it on my own. I've chosen you, but I don't don't need you, so don't think that I do. And then if you look at at verses 6, 7, and 8, you'll see that the priests will say, How have we despised your name? How have we polluted you? And what what does the Lord do? He doesn't just, with a hand of fire, go and turn them into a pile of dust. But he talks with them. He keeps interacting with them, even though he has every right to just... And on top of that, he's patient with them, and and the fact that he keeps talking with them, but he's not a pushover. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, we'll just get it better next time. Oh, yeah, you'll do better. Uh, What does he do? Verses 6, 7, and 8, he says, you've despised my name. Uh, You've offered polluted food on my altar. You've offered blind, lame, and sick animals. Uh, He brings truth, and he doesn't hold back in it. He wants them to see uh, because they're blinded to it. They think they're doing what's acceptable, and they don't see it. And so he shows them, this is what you're doing. And if you don't catch this, if you didn't catch it, that's love. They're not seeing what's true. They're going after death. And so God shows them, hey, this is what you're doing. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He wants them to see life is found in me. and You are not doing what's right. And then there's something else that, that I just, I got a kick out of in studying this passage. Uh, verse 8 in the NASP says, Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly? Says the Lord of hosts. And this is cool. <laughs> this is awesome. What the Lord does with this verse is he takes things from the rest of this chapter, but this verse is like, I don't know, maybe the canvas or like the, the point of this picture he is painting for them, that they would see what they're doing to his name. He is painting them this picture. Open your eyes and see. And it starts in this verse. Uh, he says, would you do that to your governor? Says the Lord of hosts. <laughs> He's doing that. He wants the people who are reading to realize, here's this man who maybe has a small army and authority, you're treating him better than the Lord of hosts. And he calls himself four other things in this passage. He calls himself Lord of hosts, Father, Master, and a great King. To unpack Lord of hosts, Lord is the Hebrew word Jehovah, and it has an emphasis on deity, and it means the existing one. And I love I love that attribute of God, like the eternal character of him, because I could point to different friends in here and say, Daryl is loving, or Jason is faithful, or Titus is kind. I could look at them and, and see attributes of God within them and say, well, if Daryl's loving, God's like loving times infinity. And if, you know, and that, that's a frame of reference that I can see what God's like, Uh, but you don't have a friend, none of us do, who, like, Eternal Joe, you can't go up to him and be like, hey, Eternal Joe, what's it been like living forever? You don't have that. None of us can do that. God has existed forever, and no one made him. He's holy. Uh, Like, that's a part of his awesome character. 
And so Jehovah, he's the existing one. Hosts comes from the Hebrew root word seva, which means to go forth, wage war, fight, serve. The actual word is sava, which I think was just a Texan pronouncing the first word, but it means that which goes forth, army, war, warfare, host. The existing one who has a host. <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been reading Revelation recently, and I read a chapter, I think, this morning, and it was talking about an angel who comes out of the temple and, and lights the whole world up with his glory. That, that's one angel. And there are multitudes and multitudes of them worshiping our God at all times. Most powerful army imaginable beyond what, what we can grasp at all. He's the Lord of hosts. And you're going to pay attention to this guy who has a few troops. Man, look what you're doing in my name. Uh, he's a father. The, the priests would grab onto this. They would remember that in Deuteronomy, God said, I, I carried you out of Egypt like a father carries his son. I carried you through the desert with cloud over you and fire by night. I've loved you like a father. And you're going to treat this man with more honor and respect than me? What's the deal? He calls himself a master. Uh, this would also strike a deep chord in the, the Hebrew heart. Uh, they've been in slavery for a long time. They know about masters. They've maybe seen some good ones over the years uh, that they could see examples of. But God, he's a good master. When he is your master, he's going to take care of you fully. He's going to give you everything you need to know how to do well, how to do the job well. Uh, and then he's going to give you everything you need to do it. He's a master. But then this one, this is, this is the kicker. This is the one that, I don't know, in the painting, it would be something crazy awesome. Uh, it would just be, I, I'm not artistic, so I don't even have the ability to imagine that. But he's a great king. I'm a great king, and you're going to treat this governor better than the king. What's up? Look at what you're doing. And so it's awesome. It's cool to see. The Lord starts off and he says, I've, I've loved you. They're looking for love. They're looking for ways to be loved. And they're not seeing it. But he's doing everything he can to open their eyes, to turn back to him for life. He's painted this picture. This is how you're treating my name. Here's the visual. If you'll open your eyes, you'll be able to turn back to me. You'll be able to honor me as I am. And when you do that, that's where life is. That's where life is. That was encouraging to me. You might be sitting here saying, well, it's a neat Bible study, man, but what does this have to do with us tonight? Uh, three things. If you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God sent here, and that he lived a life that was perfect because God says, live as perfect as I am, and none of us do. If we do one thing wrong, the difference between perfect and one thing wrong is an infinite gap. And so he asks us to do that. And Jesus did. And when he died on the cross, uh, he paid for all the ways that you, you aren't perfect and don't honor God. Why can he do that? Because when you sin, it's against him. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. When you don't do that, you sin against them, but you sin against God. You sin against Jesus. He's on the cross says, I died for you, when he raises back to life and says, if you believe in me, you got life forever. You're going to be with the Father. You're forgiven. 
That's truth. He can do that. And if that's you tonight, you know what he calls us? You know what he says? 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Hey, we're priests. Cool. There's priests in the passage. Yeah, there you go. The second thing, for the guy who wrote three-fourths of the New Testament and then the other bros along with him, if they all said, I'm a bondservant of Christ, I'm a slave of Christ, and then they say that same thing to us, this life is not yours, it's his, then get in line. He's your master if you believe in Jesus Christ. The last thing, if, if you don't know him, if, uh, if you're not walking in believing that Jesus is who he said he was, and uh, some of this stuff doesn't make sense to you, uh, just hold on, I'll, I'll get to you in the end. But if we're priests and servants through faith in Jesus, what, what do we sacrifice? Uh, we're not going up to Gus and wiping the crowd off his eyes and killing him. So what are we sacrificing? Hebrews 13.5 says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. One way we sacrifice to God is through, through the fruit of our lips, the way we worship, the way we speak to others, and the way we pray, the way we talk with him. And what we're going to do for the rest of tonight is we're going to move in on that, on prayer. How can we honor him through prayer? But how do we bring lame sick sacrifices to God through prayer? You might stop me and say, uh, whoa, how is prayer an offering of worship? Uh, I thought it was something you do when things go crazy. Revelation 5.8 says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And if you look back in verse 11, he says, My name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. And then also uh, a quote I have from Dave Setti. He's a director of prayer and spiritual development. He says of burning incense, the offering of incense would be the high point of service for any priest. When the signal is given to him, he places the incense upon the altar. As the smoke rises, people and priests prostrate themselves in silence before God in prayer. And so it's cool. <laughs> if you didn't know it before tonight, our prayers are as an incense and golden poles in heaven before God. He loves incense. He's, he's pumped by it. That's what prayer is. And again, it's, uh, if we look back at the priest, it's, it's easy to see the rash disobedience towards the Lord that they have. Uh, but if we stop and think about it, for us who are, are comfortable with prayer, who are comfortable in dealing with the Lord, there's a lot of ways we bring lame, sick, and therefore evil sacrifices to him. Something the priest did, they approached God, and, and they didn't approach him as he is. They were blinded to certain realities. And so they said some really weird things. Uh, you see that in verse 2, like I pointed out earlier. For them to say, how have you loved us? For them, this tiny speck of dust, to say to the holy, holy, holy God of the universe, you're a liar, how have you loved us? Is meant to twist something in us and be like, 
whoa, that's messed up. But I think we say some weird things to God too. And I think it's for the same reason. I think uh, we just rush in there. We've done it before. We've prayed before. And so we don't pay attention to realities of who he is and where he is. <laughs> that he's, he's Lord of hosts. He's Father, Master, King. And he's in heaven. He's surrounded by multitudes of angels who are worshiping him. One angel is greater than any of us in here could handle. We'd just be like, oh, hey, there's a... We'd just faint, you know, we'd pass out. That's where he is. And there's a beautiful passage in our New Testament, Hebrews 10, that says, uh, when Jesus died, he tore down the curtain, and we are all welcome into the Holy of Holies. We can go straight up to his presence. Hebrews also says, go to the throne of grace at your time of need. You can go to the throne. <laughs> and go to his presence because of Christ. Some of the weird things we say, uh, something I call the, the just sprinkler head. It's like when we're praying, it's, it's that you keep going, just, 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 and then another one is when we, we just throw his name around all the time. Father, Father, Lord, Father, Father, God, Father, Father, Lord, Father, Heavenly Father, God. Um, <laughs> And so those combined might look something like, Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you. Father God, Lord, just, just bless us with, with just, just yourself, Heavenly Father. Uh, that's, that's good enough. What did you just say to him? Father, thanks for who you are. Will you bring us you? That's what you said. Don't get me wrong, uh, you can pray with a lot of justs in your language, and, and it's good, I think, to, to have reverence and, and bring his name to him. That can be a good thing, but if you're heaping up empty phrases, if it doesn't mean anything when you're saying it, slow down, chill. In light of the, the passage, think of it this way. If you had a project that you really wanted to see done at work, would you go up to your boss and say, Phil, I'm just so excited. Phil, Phil, just, I, I really want to see this get done. Just, just, and flail around and, and not be prepared with what you say. Uh, would you, if you had to talk to your parents about wanting to go overseas for a summer, would you not prepare before you go talk to them? And here's, here's the one that I feel like all of us can be like, word, is uh, if you have a crush on a guy or a girl, are you just going to go in there, guns blazing off the hips, or do you, do you sit back and think, all right, these are the things I want to say to my boss, to my parents, to this guy or girl? And you might even think through, what are they going to say? When I say this, if she says this, I'm going to say that, and it's going to be hilarious. Ha, ha, ha. And we do that. We think through what we're going to say. And then, then there's a lot of times, too, uh, and I guarantee this is going to happen to me tonight in the next few days. I'm going to think through, what did I say up there? Uh, was it impactful? I'll, I'm going to think about those things. But do we do that with the Lord? Do we take time to stop and, and think about what in the world we're, we're saying and who we're saying it to and where he is? I think the just-justs and the father-fathers are a symptom of us not paying attention to who he is and, and where he is. Would your boss, your parents, or the girl be pleased with you, would they receive you kindly?
put us into the passage. Another thing we do is we're, we're too fixed on forms of prayer that we've learned from people, not the Bible. And one that I thought of that I'm, I'm guilty of a lot is what I call the, in Jesus' name, hand grenade. Uh, you can be spending some wonderful time in communion with the Lord. You're there in his presence. You're connecting. You're taking refuge in him. You're at the throne. But it's like you or someone in the group has a hand grenade. <laughs> that the second someone says, in Jesus' name, it's like, whoa, get the heck out of here! And uh, there is a grenade in the throne room. Holy cow, you know, get out of there. And that's weird. I do that a lot. And as I've been thinking about that recently, I'm just like, that's so weird. Stop. Stop. If we think about, in Jesus' name, uh, that makes sense. We can't come to the throne of grace without his blood, without faith that he's paid for us. We're not welcome there without that. That makes sense. And we also can't get his grace and what we're asking for by anything we've done. We get credit through Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ credit card. It always, always passes. And so that, that makes sense. Amen simply means uh, let it be so. It doesn't mean open your eyes and get the heck out of the throne room. That's not what the Greek says. It's just simply yes. We want that. And if you think about it, the things we ask for often are, Lord, will you, will you take my fear away or give me courage or help me to love better or to know you more? How do we get those things? I think through knowing truth about God. How do you know truth about God? Spend time with him. Read his words. And so it's just weird that what, what we're asking for, we then just run away. And I think that's part of why, too, we just forget what we asked for anyways. We're like, dear Lord, give me this. Holla. And we just, we peace out. And I just, I think it's weird. I don't think it brings honor to who he is. The third thing that I think is common for us is we bring our sickest, lamest time to the Lord I'm guilty of this one often too. I'll pray to him a little bit in the morning and I'm just not, a, you know, unless I get 10 hours of sleep, I'm not a morning person. So I'm like, oh, Father, help me, Lord, with today. I don't want to hate people and I want to love you. And I mean, that's just kind of lame. And then, and then I talk to him at night after I've been through the battle of the day and I'm tired and I, at that point, I'm just kind of like, Lord, help. Oh, it's been so hard. And just not offering the good part of my day. I don't take 10 minutes where I'm energized to sit down and say, God, thanks for who you are. Thanks for what you've done already today. But I give him my tired time. And that's a bummer. I don't want to keep doing that. A good picture he gave me was that in the internship, we have a lot of intentional relational time that we spend with people uh, we get emotionally invested uh, with with the victories and the, the trials in our and the people's lives that we're around and that can take a lot of energy and my poor roommate bless his soul there's been often times where I pick him up at work at at 10 at night I'm dead tired and lord love him he loves to talk and uh, I cannot offer him what he needs for me to love him well. I can't listen. 
I can't do it. And the Lord has been like, Derek, there's your picture. You're giving me your sick, tired time. Open your eyes. And there might be some of you who, man, this whole talk has just been kind of weird or crazy. You're not really tracking with us. The whole just, just thing. And the father, you're like, you, you just don't know. You've heard a person pray over food before. And you're like, yeah, the in Jesus' name, gotcha. But you, other than that, you're not, not really with us. I got two things for you. Please, please don't make the mistake that the sailors in Jonah made. They didn't cry out to God. They made prayer into something that it wasn't until the boat was going down that they were like, help us. And that's what prayer was to them. Don't do that. It's not what, it's not what prayer is. God, he is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so for eternities past, he's been communicating within himself forever. He loves communication. And what he wants is to communicate with you. He sent his son so that that line could be opened up. So don't, don't make prayer into your emergency line. And the second thing is, please, please don't make the mistake that you have time, time to start a relationship with the Lord. Uh, you don't know that. You could die right now, or right now, or now, or minutes from now, or later tonight, or years from now. But you don't know. And the consequence of that is greater than you can imagine. If God is the author of everything good, he, he, is, he is life, he's peace, he's comfort, he's hope, joy, love. If he's all those things, you've never, you've never experienced what it is to be separate from those things. And if you don't align yourself with Christ, if you don't, and, and see this too, You've gotten to hear that life is through believing that his sacrifice was for you and that he came back to life. He said that to you a couple times tonight. Uh, he loves you. <laughs> He's putting that in your world. If you don't grasp onto that, none of us have ever been completely separated from God because his glory is everywhere. But there will be a time where none of it's there. None of it. And it's going to be painful beyond what you can imagine. That's what's at stake. Don't do that, please. You don't have to know everything about him, but you believe he's God who died for you and rose from the grave. That's it. We've talked about uh, some things that, that we do wrong in prayer. I think the answer, the solution for the priests and for us is in verse 10. And it says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2, says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven. You are on earth. So, uh, three points of, of application. If you don't know him, 
begins seeking him through communication and through his words. And if that looks for you tonight, like you say something in the, the, the neighborhood of, I don't know if you're real. And it's weird for me right now to talk to someone I don't even know is real. If that's you, say that to him. <laughs> uh, but then say, this guy has said there, there is something at stake here that's, that sounds dangerous. If it's true, help me. Help me know. So seek him. Talk to him. Talk to him right now, if that's you. The next thing is, is just stop when you're done asking God something and simply sit with him. And I'm not asking for us. I think part of the, the in Jesus' name hand grenade deal is for uh, our, our, our culture is very efficient. And so I'm not asking you to, if, if you're in the middle of a business meeting and people got to get places and whatnot, to be the person who's like, no, we got to sit around and, and sit in his presence. But just start practicing this on your own. And then maybe talk to some of your closer friends and say, hey, let's pray for something. And when we're done, uh, let's just wait and see if the Lord says anything to us in response. If he encourages us to ask something else. Or if it seems like he's answered and he wants us to say thanks. Uh, let's sit around and do that. And then the last thing is uh, stop and realize who you're talking to and where he is. Lord of hosts, Father, Master, Great King. And if you will, put your imagination caps on. Go to wherever you need to go to imagine something. So if that's closing your eyes, go there. If it's staring at the person's head in front of you, do that. If it's looking at the chair or the ground or, or still looking at me, do that. But whatever it takes to imagine something well, go there real quick. And imagine that you are... You're an eight-year-old, and your dad is the president. The first thing you're going to know him as is dad. (laughs) You're my dad. That's how you're going to relate to him first off. And then you're probably going to figure out, hey, my dad's the president. Wow, look at that. And so if you know your dad and you're comfortable with him, you're going to learn things about his presidency things he does, things he's involved in, the power and the authority <laughs> that come with being the president. You'll learn things about that as you, you spend time with him and you know him. What else is he? He's the master in chief. He's in charge of the greatest army in the, the world. That's pretty intense. And so I think for an eight-year-old or, or any of us, uh, if, we, if we realize, man, my dad who loves me, as the president, he's got a ton of authority, and he's got a crazy army. I think that's going to cause a lot of comfort for us. I think we're just going to be like, man, I, I can rest. <laughs> this is good. There's another way you could take that. You could take that comfort and say, I'm the president's son, and go run amok. But then you're not going to know your dad very well. You probably won't figure out a lot of things that happen in his presidency that, that aren't known by other people. You won't know what he did as master-in-chief if you decide to go that route, if you take comfort too far and you just, uh, you just dishonor him. And we were like that eight-year-old towards the Lord. He's our father. He tells us that if we believe in him. That's meant to bring us comfort. It's meant to bring us uh, to open up ways that 
man, we're, we're comfortable with him. We know he loves us. And it should make us want to know him more and want to know things about him like he's the Lord of hosts. He's got a host out there. Man, what's up with that? Ask him about it. I think the fact that he has a host should bring us comfort. We have an enemy who has a host that's powerful, not as powerful as the Lord of hosts. One angel in Revelation ties Satan up, throws him into the lake. Uh, He's king, he's master. As a master, he knows how to take care of us, and he provides every good thing we need to do his work. And as king, he has authority over everything. So if we honor him, love him, treat him as he really is, those things are meant to bring us comfort that will bring so much life to us. You pray for us. God, thank you. Thanks for your faithfulness, Lord. That in your mercy, <laughs> that you care enough for us. We, we never did anything to deserve it, but you sent your son to live a really hard life and die for us so that we could be your kids. Thank you. Lord, if there's any here tonight who don't know you, put your people around them to proclaim your excellencies to them and to proclaim that they are welcome into the kingdom of light through Jesus. And then, Father, for us who who are your children, who have maybe grown comfortable with prayer and with your work, God, I know I have. I'm not innocent of that. Give us hearts that, that burn with passion to relate to our dad and to our savior, our shepherd, our king. And Lord, we know that just like an eight-year-old kid, we'll never know uh, the fullness of what entails his dad's presidency and everything that goes into that. We'll never fully know what goes into you being shepherd, you being the Lord of hosts. We can't ever figure that out. Forgive us for ways that we think we've figured you out or we've figured types of your names out. Forgive us. And then do what you do as a father. You, you discipline us, but you say, I love you. Come here. You're accepted. Teach us. Teach us to pray and how to, how to love you more and to love each other, God. That's what we want. Thank you that we can, <laughs> thanks that we can talk to you. It's awesome. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.